Witches. Hello and blessed be, I'm Oak. And I'm Danny, and we're just a couple of practicing witches seeking initiation into a Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. Every full moon and new moon, we're discussing things we're learning and researching, sharing magical discourse, and hold space for other witches to do the same. We're two real witches, shooting the shit and nerding out on magical topics. So if you're into the occult, the esoteric, or the otherworldly, come hang out with us. Liminal space of sound. And in today's episode, go ahead and put on your comfy clothes, sit back, take a deep meditative breath, and settle into the topic of meditation with us. Uh, Today we're going to work through theory and practice, as well as sharing some things that have and haven't worked for us. But before we get started... What you up to? Uh, What you up to? What's going on with you? Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, For air updates with, you know, learning um, different classes, workshops, and books, um, I did finish the ritual book by Damien Eccles and Lori Davis. Let me open it up and see. Um, Yep. Lori Davis. Sorry, Lori. I know know you're listening. (laughs) Um, so I finished this book and I, um, I, you know, it was good. Uh, it has a lot of practical meditations and rituals and, um, different, you know, little blurbs. It's an easy, you know, little book to read. Um, I did earmark some things to try and some things to do. I also remember that I had previously read high magic, um, by Damien Eccles sharing his, yeah, sharing his story, um, about some things that he was doing and how he was approaching magic when he was incarcerated. But then also, you know, it talks a little bit about angels and other you know beliefs that he has. So that was cool. And now, you know, kind of going down the rabbit hole of high magic and um, looking at practices like the LBRP, the Lesser Banishing Ritual, of the pentagram. Um, so, so many words there. Uh, so (laughs) when looking into that, it's all, you know, it's all Kabbalistic, it's all based, um, on the tree of life and it's referencing a lot of that. Uh, and I'm, you know, somewhat versed in the Kabbalah. I understand it's kind of origins. I've been following this pagan, uh, thought leader, um, uh, Jack Shannock, Jack Shannock. So C-H-A-N-E-K. Um, and so he's a super smart dude. Um, and he's a, also a gardenerian and he recently, um, well over the pandemic, he actually released this Kabbalah for Wiccans, um, the ceremonial magic on the pagan path, you know, Kabbalah and ceremonial magic are like super linked. And so I kind of feel the need to get more into Kabbalistic practice to understand that, um, mm-hmm. a little bit more. So that's probably the next foray. Um, it's funny. I was watching a YouTube video where he was talking about how a lot of his thoughts and practices have changed since writing that book. Cause he released it, um, after the, mm, just recently. And he was writing it during the pandemic, you know, which was years mm-hmm. ago. So, um, not that the pandemic was years ago, but he started writing it years ago. <sighs> okay. Right. You know what I'm saying? I know what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I'm going to dive into that book. Um, and yeah, I want to learn a little bit more about the Kabbalah because I have been, you know, doing the, um, LBRP feeling like a total. How's crazy that going? Person. 
yeah. Uh, I'll talk about it. <laughs> You're like, uh, interesting. Yeah, 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 it's going good. I mean, other than, you know, I have to suspend my um, judgment of myself a little bit sometimes, but it's fine. Uh, how about you? What are you reading? Um, so I finished up Doctoring the Devil, which we talked about maybe two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always enjoy reading these books um, about like Appalachian folklore and, and folk magic because mm-hmm. there, I think we talked before, like there are just so many things that are different depending on where you're from. Um, and so there were so many things that were super familiar to me, like um, like for instance, tying red ribbon into your shoes. It was a very common practice for my family to like, um, like sew initials, like red initials into your clothing so that like, I'm sure from a magical purpose, but also just a practical purpose. When you have five kids, sometimes right. the shirts and stuff just all start to blend. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, but my mom, not being um, handy with a needle ever, um, kept that alive by taking just a red sharpie and writing our names inside of the tags of our clothes and stuff. So, um, it's just it's one of those things where some things were so familiar, but other things were super foreign to me because um, I didn't. I grew up kind of steeped in Christianity, but not expressly practicing it. And so, so many of those things are like, use John 387 or whatever, uh, obviously, to like recite this three times. And I'm like, I've never heard of that or done that because that just wasn't um, kind of what we did. Um, Not that there weren't people who practiced that, but we just were not super Bible thumping. So um, just really interesting stuff. And then. the shadow work journal is going well. I've done about a handful of exercises out of it. Um, but, and one of the things, one of the first few pages kind of talks about like how to approach the journal and and what you should do like when things become overwhelming. And um, one of those things was uh, Vipassana meditation, which we'll talk about. It kind of lined up really well with this meditation episode. So um, we'll kind of dig into that too today. Oh, this is so funny, like seeing how the things we're currently reading and learning about or like influenced, um, how we're approaching these topics differently, right. which is great. Cause I mean, you know, we just keep learning and keep changing our opinion and adding on things. So I think it makes sense for us to have a little snapshot of, um, you know, what's influencing us right now. So love that. What, uh, what irons in the fire do you have burning with your fire updates? Danny? Um, I just repot all of the plants in my house, which all of right, them for other people, all, all of them, every single one that needed to be repot, which like for the average person, I'm sure they're like, oh, okay, you're just like repot plant all plants. No, I actually also just downloaded an app because I realized it's getting out of control. Um, and so I downloaded an app to remind me about like care instructions because I have the memory of a goldfish. And so I like struggle to remember like, when did I last <laughs> fertilize that? Like, when did I, when did I last repot this? Um, because I literally just repot like 20 plants, not even kidding, like 20 plants. And then pulled stuff off of plants to propagate. And um, so, yeah, I'm feeling really accomplished this weekend, just digging in so much dirt, feeling really good about it. Um, I think what about you? Really, yeah, we're really channeling that Taurus new moon energy because um, same, <laughs> I did not replant every plant that I have, um, but I am doing some really large transitions um, from like, you know, the smaller plants to the, or smaller pots to the larger pots, um, which is why you repot other than vanity reasons. Yeah. Um, but no, my, my biggest project right now digging in the dirt is, um, I did have a new septic <clears throat> field 
mm-hmm. laid, which means that they ripped up every piece of my front and backyard, which was great, honestly, because they got rid of a lot of things that I didn't want there. And so <laughs> I'm laying, I went through and had to rake up though, you know, all of the debris from that because they lay down hay. Um, so I did that yesterday and, you know, got all of the, um, other kind of little growy things that, that I wasn't wanting. Um, and yeah. And so I'm laying down grass seed, um, and it's a huge, why is grass seed so expensive? I didn't know. Uh, So expensive. And also like there are whole people who dedicate their lives to how to keep your grass looking as grass like as possible. And I, (laughs) Just grass is so abundant that it's like wild to me that it is so like sought after. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a grass person. I don't really care. I live (laughs) very much like in a very um, wooded rural space, but it's also like I, if I don't put down grass, I'm going to end up with like potato air plants everywhere. um, My part of Florida, like. (laughs) If you don't put down something, things are going to grow and they're not going to seem normal and they're going to be invasive. Um, so so that's my only reason for wanting that. Um, and also you want to make sure that things that are growing on top of a septic system um, don't have really deep root systems. Right. Um, so that's problematic. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I'm nerding out. I'm having fun with it. I like tested my soil to see, you know, what nutrients it had and which nutrients it didn't have. And then, you know, purchasing that fertilizer for that. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, digging around, but also feeling a little nerdy. So that's fun. Um, all right. So let's get into our water updates. What's, what's flowing through your life? How are you feeling? You know, now that there's something about like just knocking stuff off the to-do list that suddenly makes me feel like, uh, I have my life under control. Just this, the pseudo, uh, feeling, not necessarily that it's true, but just like I marked enough stuff off my list to feel like an accomplished and organized human being. So um, yeah, I'm just feeling like the day-to-day is still hectic, but like there's a plan and we're executing the plan every day. So we feel like we're we're getting ahead and staying ahead and staying on top of stuff as it's coming up. So everything's feeling hectic, but like doable, you know? Good, good. Yeah. I know things have been picking up and you're on kind of maybe the, the other side of your crazy work time. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's kind of going to reach a culmination up until July. But once we hit July, it's really just about like setting standards and keeping them in place. So mm-hmm. um, right now is just like the build up to that time where it's just like every day is a challenge, but we're staying on top of the challenge. So the wheels are moving. Things are, are continuing yeah. to keep moving, you know, and we're not falling behind. So that's good. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I am excited about summer. Yeah, I do a lot of paddle boarding, um, in the local like springs and rivers around my area. I'm really excited about going to the beach. Um, yeah, I'm just feeling summer vibes, but, um, recently, um, I had taken a kind of break from working out because I recently, not recently, actually, this is the problem. Um, back in August, I had major, <laughs> like major ankle surgery to kind of correct a deformed bone that was giving me Achilles tendonitis and working out was making it worse. And so I had to have surgery, which was terrible. And I really was kind of at that point had been working out very religiously um, every morning, uh, you know, like waking up at 4.30 and uh, doing a lot of habit stacking. I don't know if this is something that you're familiar with, but there's whatever this kind of 
self-help idea that if you just do like build all of your habits off of one thing, kind of they'll domino into place. So for instance, if you put your shoes by the door in the morning, then it makes it easier for you to put your you know shoes on to then go run. And then if oh, you yeah, run, yeah. you know, like that kind of thing, like there's like positive. I don't reaction. think I knew that there was a word for that, but I totally yeah. do that. Yes. 100%. Yeah, habit <laughs> I'm reading the book that it's from, I think, but it's all about like micro habits, but one kind of connected to another. And I totally had that going, right? right? You go to bed at whatever. I mean, I went to bed crazy early, like seven thirty, <laughs> o'clock, like had to buy blackout curtains because I was going to bed before the sun went down. Um, and so I go to bed early and then I don't drink wine or eat dessert because I'm going to bed so early, which is great. Right. Then you wake up early and work out and I feel like great about working out. And then you drink a lot of water because you sweat so much in the morning. So it's like one thing kind of was leading to the other. But if you take away working out, well, there goes all your good habits because you stacked them on top of working out. Um, so, So I definitely was feeling a little out of sorts in terms of like just not having that routine in place. And yeah, so now I'm back on my bullshit. Um, going to bed super early, working out. I, I'm trying a new gym right now. Um, and so that's always kind of a change of um, scenery and approach. And so that's fun. Um, so yeah, so I'm feeling good working out, awesome. meditating, doing my thing. Look at you go. Look at you just health and wealth and all these things. Yeah. How's the new gym? Is it the same kind of style of gym you were going to before? Or? Yeah. 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 They're, okay. they're both like CrossFit gyms. The one that I was going to before uh, was probably less intensely CrossFit like. And so, okay. um, a little bit more, I don't know, chill about it. So they did their own programming. They didn't follow like CrossFit programming, but this gym is very CrossFit-y. Um, and I can already tell that they mm, do things way more intensely. And so I'm having to really hold myself back in a lot of ways of not going as heavy yeah. or not going as intense because they're kind of like going intense. Um, so yeah. it's a, it's a balancing act, but yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, getting into earthly things, our challenges, our purchases. Um, I have come to the realization that I have an outlandishly huge stack of books. <laughs> um, and, and here's the thing. The reason I didn't realize I had so many books is because I think subconsciously somewhere I've thought that if I put them in different stacks at different places of my house, that they seem like less books. You know what I mean? It seems like there's a, um, but I went through this weekend as I was like just cleaning and organizing, getting things together. Um, and I legit have 23 books that I, oh, you counted them? that I have not read. Yes. Okay. That's the problem. You should have not counted them. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I've decided that I am going to hold myself to a standard that I'm not buying another single book until I read these books. It, like just because I put them in four separate stacks in different places does not somehow make it better that there are this many books. Okay. Well, let me I ask you like. clarifying questions. Are some of them reference books? One of them is a correspondence okay. book. Only one. Okay. All right. Well, I can't help you then. <laughs> You're like, I can't even make excuses for you. That is ridiculous. Yeah. And no, it's, no, no, no. Should... No, I have, I mean, same, but I just don't count mine. So therefore it doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> But I have like books that I purchased from like pagan festivals when authors are there in order to like get them signed and also to support the author because often they don't get paid. Um, so I can't hold myself to that standard of not buying books until I've finished reading them all because, you know, I mean, we're, we're probably going to go to a, are you, yeah, because it's in your neighborhood. So we're probably going to go to yeah. 
uh, a pagan con, whatever. And there's going to be authors there. You're not going to buy books if there's authors there. I mean, I don't know. Signing them. Okay. Well, I don't know. Okay. So, but listen, see, this is how I got into this, this pile. This is exactly what happened was because someone would recommend a book and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to forget about that. Let me go put that like in an Amazon cart or go put that somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so then before I know it, I had purchased all these books with no plan to read them. Like not that I didn't want to read them. I just, they weren't front of mind to read them. So I, I kept reading the books that I had already like slated on my list. And then before I know it, I have like all these books people have recommended to me at some point that I'm just like, yeah. holding on to that are just collecting dust. And I'm like, okay, you need to get your life together. Like you need to, again, what is that habit stacking? Uh, yeah. I need to make a plan for keeping track of these books that I want to read, but not like impulse ordering them so that I don't forget about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess if we go, I'll see what happens, but I'm <laughs> trying to hold myself to the standard that I'm not yeah. going to purchase any more books. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I went to, you know, I went to Salem for my 40th birthday. And of course, I had to buy books at like Lori Cabot's spot because she had signed some of them. Um, I went to a pagan festival, had to buy there. And then, yeah, I do that same thing where you read one author and then you're like, well, now I have to buy this book because they reference this book. And it's a vicious cycle. Really? It really, really is. And I'm, I was just like, in my mind, I really was like, oh, I have like, I don't know, like maybe maybe seven to ten books I need to read. And then I counted up and I was like, you're a ridiculous <laughs> human being. Why are you like this? <laughs> Why are you like I'm, this? I'm not even – I refuse to count. I refuse to incriminate myself. <laughs> um, that's so funny. I um, – yeah, I bought two additional books. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, I'm going to read this one. Um uh, by the Jack Shannock uh, character. And, um, and then there's another book that um, I'll talk about next time. Um, but they are both connected to, you know, the LBRP, which is corresponding to what I'm trying to focus on and trying to get experience with. So I guess maybe that's the thing. It's like, I'm buying books that I'm trying to learn about because I'm going to use that information in action. So maybe I feel justified in doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel you. I, feel you. <laughs> I also um, bought some uh, supplies, some crafting supplies for a little like on hand gifts that I want to have ready for people. And I'm not going to tell you about them because your birthday is coming up. So I'm going to give you one of these things, but it's a little craft thing that I'm going to make as a gift for, you know, folks um, oh that gosh. are super special. And yeah. Yeah. So do, do some crafting, which I'm excited about. We'll talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Look at you go. Yeah. Your birthday's coming up. I know. I, I always have these like mixed feelings way. about birthdays. I always have this very mixed feeling about birthdays, not because I'm like super tied to the idea of like aging is a, a yeah, I don't mm-hmm. care about that. Um, I just, I've always felt weird about like celebrating a, a day of birth for myself. I don't know. It's just always not been as important to me as I feel like other people make it. Mm-hmm. And then I feel weird about not making it a big deal because other people do. And I don't want to make them feel like I don't just, I, I've literally worked every single one of my birthdays except for for last year, I think was the first mm-hmm. year. And it wasn't even by like choice. Like there were days, times that I had intentionally scheduled to like be off and then something would happen where like I needed to be there. It was required for me to be there. Um, 
And people are like, oh my gosh, that's so awful. You should like plan for it. I'm like, eh, I don't know. It's just another day. I don't know. Um, but again, it might also be the aging like bananas thing. Uh, I, For everyone listening, um, I always tell Oak and other people like, I'm always amazed because they are aging so beautifully. I was like born with forehead wrinkles. Like I am literally <laughs> aging like bananas and it like baffles me um, because in my mind, I feel like I look 45. Um, and I'm not no 45. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear you about feeling weird about being, maybe it's like the center of attention kind of thing. Maybe that's the challenge. Maybe. Um, I have, I don't feel that way, but I also have a lot of first house placements, which makes me self-absorbed in some way. Um, <laughs> My Leo rising is not rising. Uh, I needed to get yeah. it together. <laughs> yeah. What's happening. Maybe um, I think, uh, yeah, I think you should like have spa days and then you don't have to be the center of attention for everyone in your life, just the center of attention for people giving you service, right? Like maybe a spa right. days would be a way of channeling that Leo rising. I don't know. Right. Um, okay. So are you ready to jump into today's topics? Let's do this thing. I'm excited. I'm really excited. I have thoughts. We have lots You're of thoughts. more excited than I am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Which is generally how I think we both approached meditations. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am like, okay. All right. Let's talk about it. Um, we're going to get into this in the same way that we have been approaching our other topics. We'll talk about the air aspects, which are going to connect to kind of knowledge and like mental, I don't know, air stuff. And then we're getting into fire, which is going to connect to the types of actions that one could take around the topic. We're going to get into history and feelings in the water section. And finally, we'll talk about the challenges and how we integrate these ideas into um, our lives in the earth section. And so that we're also, you know, we like to talk about some of the more problematic, maybe debates, maybe some prickly ideas around this and maybe internal conflicts we've had with the topic. So yeah, so we always, I, I like the, the last part. I always like being a little salacious. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I like that we leave it at the end too, right? So it's quite, right. That's, that's intentional. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Um, all right. So let's get into the air aspects before, um, you know, I always, I think the definitions are always helpful place to start, which is like a cliche in speeches. Right. It's like Webster's <laughs> dictionary defines meditation. That's like a yes. Don't do that in your uh, your public speaking classes. They hate when you do that, but I, we're going to do that. Um, so <laughs> meditation is a uh, tainted word, I think. Um, usually when we say meditation, we're talking about maybe the, the definition around thinking deeply or focusing one's mind for some period of time in silence with the aid of chanting for religious or spiritual purposes, um, or as a method of relaxation, right? That's one way to define it. There's also a lot of other ways to define meditation, um, thinking deeply or carefully about something, meditating on a concept that could be considered meditation or just considering. So planning mentally that can be considered meditation. So we'll talk about some different versions of that, but Meditation is tricky. It's a tricky word. Um, and generally re referring to that first part as we are talking about today's topic. Yeah. Um, so then we wanted to jump into some books. Um, and so one of the books I think that was really instrumental in me connecting meditation to practice um, was Six Ways, Approaches, and in 
Trees for Magical, sorry, for Practical Magic by Aiden Wachter. Now, this book was recommended to me, and I did not realize until I just pulled it out the other day that it's Wachter, W-A-C-H-T-E-R, because I've always heard Watcher, Aiden Watcher. Um, totally not their name. So Wachter is the name. Oh, um, just, but, yeah, I saw that and I was like, yeah, Watcher. What do you, oh, oh, yeah, no. Uh, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's totally like – and this book has been kind of highly recommended because it, it – it, for different reasons, but um, because it really approaches – theory behind practice and how you should like approach practice. Um, and it's a really easy read. It's easy to read through. It's a smaller book. Um, but it is really instrumental in getting you to like, think about things like meditation and how to approach those things in a very, uh, logistical way. Um, so less about like the woo woo of it and more about the, like, how do I physically do this thing? Mm -hmm. What is the theory behind doing this thing? Um, and I think Meditation for me was not something I approached in practice. Meditation was something I approached from a, a wellness standpoint, from like a, everyone says meditation is good for you, so I'm going to go do it. Um, and it wasn't until I really read this book that I was like, oh, meditation is a way of progressing my practice and kind of um, harnessing or, or working that muscle of the mind and, and focusing will um, and, and really exploring the theories of those things. So um, definitely highly recommend that book, especially for somebody who like really can't sit and read like a 400 page book. It's a much smaller book. It's a very easy read. And it was very, very interesting to me and kind of opened a lot of thought doors on what practice is. Um, and I really, really enjoyed the book. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> Do you want me to 25. also bring that one along? <laughs> okay, so, but no, I, I, I would like to, if you say that's great, then I would definitely check it out. Maybe I'll try to find it on um, like an audible thing. Love that. Okay, so I was trying to think, I'm like, what books were really paramount um, in my understanding of meditation and what was the purpose? And honestly, like just growing up in the era that I did, and we'll talk more about kind of like historically how meditation has like shown up in our lives and over the time, over our personal histories. But um, it was hard. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I remember hearing about meditation for like fucking Oprah when I was like nine. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like meditation has just always been around me. Um, but if I had to think of like one book that I really, that maybe opened me up to a certain way of thinking about things. Uh, was probably Eckhart Tolle's uh, The Power of Now and his like other publication, which is the Earth World of Tomorrow, Tomorrow World, um, New Earth. I think it's called New Earth, New World. I don't know. I It's Helios too. Uh, <laughs> so everyone, I think, knows The Power of Now and it talks a lot about um, staying present. And that, of course, sparked the whole conversation around um, – mindfulness. I think he was really kind of one of the poster children, even though he's an old dude, but, uh, <laughs> for, for meditation, especially like, you know, he was like one of Oprah's book club things where we would like read mm -hmm. different chapters and then discuss it with Oprah. So I was totally here for it. Um, but yeah, I think that that book was probably super influential in my practices early on. And I still go back to that book and remember, um, the mental attuneness practices that he has uh, listed in there. So yeah, if I had to guess, if I had to put one, I guess I'd put that one. Nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't. There are a lot of good books out there. I mean, tons of books on meditation. But as far as like connecting it um, 
and we'll talk a little bit about wellness versus practice, but I think a lot of us have approached meditation from a wellness standpoint and maybe not so much from a witchcraft standpoint. And so, Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think something worth exploring. Yeah. I have also, I think you're going to talk about a study here, um, and how it can potentially be focused on like the health reasons, um, why Mm -hmm. people do these kinds of things, because it's not just for witchcraft, um, unless, I don't know. I think it's all witchcraft, right? Like <laughs> healing, <laughs> healing your genes, healing your immune system, healing is witchcraft. So, you know, loose definitions here. But I think a lot of times we hear the terms like brain waves being discussed in reference mm-hmm. to um, to meditation, trying to reach those alpha or theta levels and brainwave patterns. Um it goes out of order, right? It's like beta, alpha, theta, and delta. And a lot of times people talk about this alpha brain state as being a place where you have deep insights and deep relaxation. Um, And there is a lot of just like science behind meditation now that there maybe wasn't in the past. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the study that you found here. Yeah. So I was kind of looking for something more recent and preferably local to us. So there were some researchers um, at um, UF, University of Florida, um, who had through kind of their own lives had kind of like started meditative practices and wanted to know on a health perspective, like what are the actual health implications of this? And so what they did was they studied 106 people who went on a Vipassana style um, meditation retreat. Yeah. Tell me about that. You say that word. Yeah. So it, the style of a pastana is essentially like, um, instead of this idea of like clearing the mind, it's allowing the mind to naturally settle and mm-hmm. noticing the thoughts that come to your mind and essentially right. not addressing them in that moment, but uh, making note of them so that later you can say like, these are the most front of mind things. These are the things my, my mind is worried about or needs to plan or needs to organize. And mm-hmm. then attacking those things um, from the perspective that like it will help with your overall wellness to like get rid of these worries or these things that are like kind of tripping you up or like stumbling blocks in your mental processes. Yeah. Um, and so this meditation style retreat was eight days of silence, which this is the more traditional style of Vipassana. Um, but it's these like long periods, days worth of silence with at least nine hours of meditation per day. Oh, that's all. Um, <laughs> Only nine. So totally achievable um, is what I'm saying. (laughs) And then what they did was they took blood samples from these people before this retreat, immediately after this retreat, and then three months after that. And what they found is when they analyzed those samples, um, it affected the genetic activity of the immune responses, specifically to 68 genes, including those that are involved in antivirus and anti-cancer responses. So what they found was like on an actual metabolic and genetic level – these people were affected not just in the short term, like not just immediately after, but months later, they were still showing that these genes were impacted and that overall they were helping their immune system. Essentially, they, they were creating a response in the immune system that was keeping these people well. So not just on the mental level, not on the mental, emotional level, but actually on a physical level, it was impacting their body and their body's processes. That's so cool. Have you ever done like a retreat like that? I haven't. And I actually, 
several months ago came across one. And my initial reaction was, I should send this to Oak and see if she wants to go. Um, because Did you know I would? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Let's shut up for eight days. Let's go be tortured. Can you imagine you and I, they were like absolute silence for eight days. I think I would break by day three. I think by day three, I would absolutely lose all sense of self. <laughs> I, would I not think know we would develop it. like a language of like, like <laughs> knocking or something. <laughs> Um, no, that sounds yeah. torturous, which I'm here for. Love, love good <laughs> torture for the purposes of growth. Um, I, <laughs> that's a really cool study. Um, I think it's probably also, yeah, I mean, clearly we all agree collectively on the social North American level that, um, meditation is there's lots of different types of meditation. Meditation is great for your mind, uh, for anxiety, depression, right? So, um, for, for mental fortitude, it's also great, um, for gene responses and for the actual like physiological response that meditation has. Um, I think, I think we're all kind of on that same page that we understand the value mm -hmm. of that just because there's been so many discussions and, you know, Ted talks or, or what have you <laughs> on the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to also maybe just create some categories. Um, so around meditation, I think if I had to really boil it down into its essence, meditation is defined by what you're thinking about and what you're doing. And so we'll talk about the doing part in our fire segment. Um, but in the, um, focusing on, I think that's very air related, um, I have heard people talk about, and I can't like give a, um, a reference because these are things that were discussed in like a, uh, another lecture that I was a part of. So I, I can't give credit here for, for where these ideas have come from, but, um, there's, I remember hearing there's like three different, um, things that you're focusing on, right? You're either focusing when you meditate on many things, you're focusing maybe on one thing, or you're focusing on no things. So the meditation style that you talked about, where you're trying to not focus really on your thoughts, but the whole like observe the observer kind of thing, mm -hmm. and just let the, the thoughts go by, I think this would fall into that like space between thoughts idea. Um, but for the many things, I think, you know, guided meditation, we hear that as a lot of a type of meditation. And that's an example of focusing on a lot of things, body scans, focusing on your toes, and you're focusing on your ankles, and then you're noticing your calves and all those good things. That's a totally focusing on many things category. Um, I don't know if you've heard the like meditations book um, by Marcus Aurelius. Um, and so. he has... He's using the word meditations in the idea of considerations of just the human experience and different philosophies. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely had meditations where I focus on some of those concepts, like larger concepts where I'm focusing on many aspects of a thing. Um, but uh, the one thing, focusing on one thing, um, I think when you're focusing on your breath, you're focusing on one thing. I think a lot of times people will use focus on your breath to then transition into focusing on nothing. Right. Right. But I think it's, it, if you're observing your breath, you're still focusing on that one thing and you yeah. can stay there until that's really comfortable and you feel like you can maintain that focus and then kind of transcend into this 
you know, the space between thoughts observation. Um, but yeah, categorically, maybe focusing on many things, one thing or no things. And then I just want to talk about general methods. So, um, there are so many methods out there, like so, 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 so many methods mm-hmm. and so many methods that have like many methods within those methods. And um, <laughs> it's it's a very vast and wide umbrella, um, but there are really like gen- seven general concepts, I would say, that like most types of meditation fall under. Um, so within like the three you described, like many things, one thing or no things, um, these are like okay, but what things are we focusing on or like what is the technique that we're using? So there's guided meditation, right? So the intentional focus on a path or adventure or personal visual, visual visualization, that's a word. Um, but like the idea of like imagine roots coming through your feet into the ground, like that's a very popular one. And then there's loving kindness meditation, often called meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A, Um, And this is the use of like affirmations, whether those are vocal or just kind of like mentally repeated um, to focus your attention onto something and ease into a meditative state by first focusing those affirmations on yourself. And then typically it's like then turning those outward to the world. So like I am kind, I am smart, and then turning that out to the world. Like I am going to go out to the world and be kind. I'm going to go. And then to recognize that same thing in other people. And then there's mindfulness meditation. So clearing of the mind, right? No thought or no no focus really but the breath. So again, that concept of like we're focusing on the breath and then we're going to slip into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's vipassana meditation. So this is actually paying attention just to the natural thought pattern, right? Get seated somewhere, kind of tune out everything else around you and just let your mind naturally wander and make note of where it wanders to. Again, no judgment pass on those as like good or bad thoughts or um, just making note of those and then later processing kind of what is front of mind and addressing those things. Um, transcend- transcendental meditation. So a state of kind of being out of oneself. So transcending the physical self, the, these will be the styles of meditation where you're like asked to like move yourself outside of your physical body mm-hmm. and then maybe like look down on your physical body or or move your state of consciousness to a place other than where you physically are. I would say too and about then, transcendental meditation that that's a whole like school and practice onto itself. Yeah. Um, when I lived in Denver, there's a big transcendental like community there. And a lot of times I didn't realize this, but like you're having to pay a healthy sum to get into these classes. And I don't oh, know yeah, if there's yeah. Outside of that, and like having a transcendental meditation teacher um, is something that is is very costly. Um, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole, but I think that we we experience that often when we do kind of like thinking about like astral projection, astral temple, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I think when we use the word like TM, transcendental meditation, when you say it like that, you're actually referring to specifically a school of meditation. Uh-huh. That like yeah. requires specific. So there's the transcending your body meditation and there's transcendental meditation, which I think is a very right. specific thing, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reason those things are so costly, right, is because there's this kind of idea that somebody has the knowledge to get you there, that it requires like an, an yeah. additional person. And I think for some people it probably does, right? I think for maybe even the majority of people, like if you had to depend on your own experience to get you to the state, you probably would naturally get there on your own. 
And that's where you have to rely on resources, whether it's books or people or classes or retreats um, to help you kind of find that access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have chakra meditation, which is really focusing on up one, but up to all chakras within one meditative um, practice where you're focusing on those individual chakras and working through blockages and attuning focus to those areas. So noting where you might feel um, like you're kind of stuck, whether that's like the throat chakra and and what that means for you in your life. And then um, focusing on like removing those blockages and some meditations will take you through all of those chakras and some will just focus on one in particular um, and kind of essentially give you more information about that chakra, but also ask you to like focus on removing things related to those blockages. And then we have physical meditation. um, And that's really the connection between the mind and the body. So finding the blockages that you feel physically in your body and then removing or releasing that tension. So these would be your things like um, your yoga and your walking meditation um, kind of fall under this umbrella of physical meditation. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that list of examples. Love that. Um, when we're transitioning now into the fire segment, we're <clears throat> kind of talking about um, incorporating this. What are the actions that you take around meditation? Uh, I just wanted to kind of circle back to that categoric uh, definition of meditation is what you're thinking about and it's also what you're doing. So there's maybe two types of doing. <laughs> if I, Again, if I'm being mm-hmm. super reductive, which would be moving and like not moving. <laughs> yeah. So I'm focusing on one thing. I'm focusing on nothing. I'm focusing on many things and I'm either moving or I'm not moving. Right. Um, so moving meditations might have us walking, might have us dancing, um, even like drumming, um, to get into a meditative state, maybe using like singing bowls, uh, doing poses. And that pose could be something like, you know, slow, um, yen kind of practice or like something super active, like Kundalini, um, yoga, it could also be just holding a physical, um, like a rune, right? So if I was holding the shape of Gebo, for instance, and focusing on the meaning of that and how that enters my life and trying to draw that in, that could be a form of meditation that is moving. I mean, technically you're holding (laughs) a pose, but it Mm -hmm. certainly is body centric. Tai Chi, chanting, all of those things I think would fall in the moving category. Static, when we're talking about static, maybe we would still include breath as part of a still technique. Um, Wim Hof, have you heard of Wim Hof, this dude? Um, I feel like I know that term, but I haven't, like, I don't know a lot about that practice. Yeah, it's it's like this... Um, Austrian, I think he's Austrian dude. Um, he developed this method of breath work and the thing that was like really impressive or people point to as a study of showing the power of the Wim Hof method is he was infected with essentially like food poisoning, right? He was given botulism. Um, and I think even E. coli, um, and that was like intentionally. Yeah. Injected into his body and through the breath through working in his breath and he was able to fight off the infection and not become sick. And so this was like followed by scientists. And so the Wim Hof method is really about using your breath to regulate your body functions 
which is crazy and amazing. So a lot of his retreats, people talk about, you know, jumping into ice cold water and maintaining your body temperature um, exposure therapy in that way. Uh, it's, it's really, really cool stuff. And um, I am impressed by that kind of thing. Uh, I, even Lamaze, right? I mean, <laughs> the ability of uh, being able to give birth to a child, like Lamaze is mm-hmm. absolutely a type of breath work and meditation. Um, and <clears throat> wanted to talk about this kind of other static, um, meditation, which would be whatever your body position is and maintaining that. So whether you're reclined, whether you're, you know, laying flat down, um, or maybe even seated. Um, I just wanted to point out that my experiences with seated meditation are, have not been successful <clears throat> because <laughs> I have not transcended my body <laughs> in a meditative state. Uh, so when my ass falls asleep, uh, it's pretty distracting <laughs> and I appreciate uh, So I guess, you know, so many people maybe have this visualization in their mind that meditation requires a seated position. And while I think that can work, uh, for more novice folks in a short interims, like if you're doing a 30 minute or hour long meditation, if you're not able to, um, reject the distraction of pain, then maybe it's not the best place to be. Um, I would love to get to a place where seated meditation was something I could uh, deal with for a long period of time without (laughs) being distracted by pain, but that's not where I'm at. So Um, yeah. So again, you know, something to think about is that meditation can uh, take the form, you know, what are you thinking about, but also what are you doing? And there's so many versions of what either you are actively doing with your body or not doing with your body. Lots of options there. Yeah. And then we want to talk about creating routine. So I have found the easiest thing is to start small. Um, If you start out with like 20 minute long meditations, um, especially if those are like your own guidance, meaning you're not listening to a guided meditation, you are doing this on your own. Um, It can really burn you out. So start small, find short, easier practices online or use guided meditation videos on YouTube. um, So that as slipping into these states becomes easier as it comes, um, shall we use the words muscle memory, um, then you can kind of increase time and difficulty. Um, Maybe start with breath. So try something like box breathing where you breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold for four seconds. Um, And you can visualize kind of drawing that box until, again, you get that muscle memory where the breathing part becomes easier. A lot of people get really kind of worn out with focusing on their own breath and losing track of it. And um, and so box breathing was really um, one of those ways for me to visualize breath and to really focus on it and kind of build that muscle memory for it. Um, attempt to solely focus on the breath for about five minutes per day. Set a timer. Please don't try to keep your phone beside you. And when you think five minutes is up peak and then realize only like 30 seconds has passed um, because your life feels like it's slipping away, um, just set a timer, right? Make it as easy for yourself as possible. And then try several different types of meditation. Um, things won't always work for you off the bat. Figure out what does work, drop what doesn't, unless you're up for that challenge. So if you're like, I really like this style of meditation, I just need to kind of get the motivation and the discipline to follow it through, then sure, go for it. But um, don't do something that you hate. Um, Again, consistency, theme of my life. Um, Work on what makes sense for you. Don't try to hold on to something that isn't working for you just because you think it should be working for you. Um, Figure out what does. 
lose what mm-hmm. doesn't, go after the challenges when you think you're ready for those shoes. I have a term for that. I call it shooting your pants. I'd like to trademark that. Don't shoot your <laughs> pants, okay? Because then it's really shitty. Both literally and figuratively. Um. <laughs> All right. And then as we go into water, where we want to talk about histories and feelings, um, history of meditation, I guess we talked about like, what do you really define as meditation? If it's just like rumination of your thoughts, that probably has gone on as long as humans have had consciousness. Um, but this kind of idea of sitting with yourself and your thoughts and, and to build like a higher level of spirituality or to transcend your own thoughts. So that's believed to have originated from India around 3500 BCE. Um, And those were found with drawings of people that appeared to be sitting with their eyes closed in a meditative state. Um, Around that same time, we see a venditism. So the Vedas were an oral traditional practice that were later codified into text um, that had meditative practices at the core of the spiritual practice. So these were expressed really in verbal mantra. So something that we might consider today as like affirmations um, and then waking meditation. So something today that would look more similar to scrying. Um, So still very different than what I think most people picture meditation to be now, um, but we're still kind of the original kind of thought leaders on meditation. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, anytime we go over history, what we're referring to is here are points of evidence that have been recorded in history that we can Mm -hmm. confirm through um, these artifacts and these remains. But it doesn't mean that that was the first time it happened. It's just the first time that we have proof of it based on, or maybe (laughs) uh, we can create hypothesis based on artifacts that that's what was Mm -hmm. happening. Um, But who knows, you know, I, I, I think meditation and its connection to um, like Indian culture is really strong. And a lot of people kind of um, just instantly go to like guru minds and like yoga minds uh, for meditation. And, you know, that's just not the case. There's, there's been, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there were druids that were thinking about how to control thoughts. You know, there are, mm-hmm you know, all kind of Asian cultures outside of India, like Chinese, Japanese, um, you know, people who have had a traditions of mental um, training and fortitude and maybe just not calling it meditation. So yeah. it's, it's, to me, it's like using, trying to define history historically, like where did meditation start? It, well, number one depends, like, as you said, what is meditation to you? And number two, how do you prove people were doing mental exercises? I guess if you have a mm-hmm. drawing on a cave of someone seated, maybe you assume that's the case, but it's hard. It's hard to, yeah. when did people try to control their thoughts? I don't know. That's hard to define. Since they had thoughts. Probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think it's probably useful for us to maybe just give our personal histories with meditation and kind of like how we've thought about it over time. Like I said, I grew up, you know, in a time where meditation was quite popular um, and it was kind of everywhere, right? Like watching Oprah, it was on Oprah. (laughs) So I think these are really popular social topics over time, but of course they always appear to have this kind of like mystical implication. Um, When I was probably in early teenager, late teenager, started doing yoga, it was really probably the first time that I was ever, that I ever did um, active meditation um, in, was in yoga. Uh, So 
I think that when I reflect on the definitions of yoga, I think any, I can have, I found myself in sports situations being so highly focused in one thing that I actually forget what the rest of my body is doing because I'm so focused on a singular thing. Um, And when you get to like really high competitive levels of sport where you have to actually slow down time in your mind in order to like speed up your reaction to it, I, I think that that's that's meditation, um, in, in a way. And, you know, when I got to that really, uh, intense level with sports, it became very stressful. And so we actually had Mm -hmm. sports psychologists come in and help us with the stress and also with like visualization in order to improve performance. Um, so I think I like replaced, (laughs) meditation with sports and then sports got stressful. So then I had to meditate and then I quit doing sports and got stressed and then had to meditate for the stress. Um, <laughs> this is how, you know, it's just like, it keeps ping ponging back and forth. Um, but yeah, most recently, I think, uh, as part of, I've always been interested in self-help self-help in the modern term generally is around, you know, meditation is a big staple of conversation there. Uh, but getting into magic certainly and, uh, witchcraft in general, uh, certainly encouraged me to return to my meditative practices. Um, so yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of inception there of like, um, stress led me to sports and then sports led me to stress and then stress led me to um so I used to focus kind of on on clearing my mind when meditating where now a meditation is almost always now with a purpose in mind for me um like I want to, at the end of this meditative practice um feel like I've accomplished a thing or or met a goal or answered a question where I think Originally, it was like, I just want to think less in my brain. I want there to be mm-hmm. less stuff in there. Um, where now I'm like, no, give me more stuff. I just want to figure out how to to manage that stuff in, in a more uh, productive way. So I have kind of built a practice more around um, achieving those goals. And so there's a couple different methods that I use that I wanted to share here. So one of those that I mean, fairly recently, probably within the last six months, um, I started using these palm stones. They're actually up here on my altar right here. Um, so these palm stones are something I use when meditating. And I use a very similar format actually to how we format this podcast. Um, again, shout out to Deb Lip um, for all of the work <laughs> that she has done in our lives. Um, but I hold these palm stones as I'm ruminating about a question or something that I want to kind of sit with my ancestors in this nice little chair right here um, and think through a problem. And so I start with earth. So like, what is the problem? What is the mundane thing? Um, What is the challenge that I'm facing? And then I move into air. What do I know about this problem? Um, What are the facts around the case or the issue? And then I move into holding the palm stone um, for water. So it's an aquamarine palm stone um, around like, how am I feeling about this thing? What are maybe some of the the blockages that I'm experiencing because of my feelings around this thing, but also history. So this is where I pull kind of my ancestors in. And I think about this problem in ways they may have faced it in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's a if it's a work problem, like did my papa experience this, like working in the coal mines and being away from his family for such long periods of time and trying to bounce balance that quality time 
in the short periods of time when he was home and supposed to be resting up for like the next two weeks stint. Um, I have, have the kind of that same thought when I think of my mama Pat and like she was raising several kids and for a longer period of time doing it on her own. And so trying to keep everybody fed and clothed and, and, you know, generally well, um, was probably a focus. So that's where I kind of pull in histories is with that water one, um, put a lot of energy into that one. Um, and then I have the fire. So the carnelian one I, I sit with and I'm like, all right, so we have like really turned this thing over inside out all the way around. What are we going to do about it? Right. What, what lay down some concrete actions for like what you're going to do about this thing so you can get it off of your mind to kind of remove that worry. Um, and then I like to believe that all that energy that I'm putting in those stones that I then leave on my ancestor altar um, are kind of helping build that energy and, and um, something I can later tap into more effectively. And then I've also built and continue working with those astral spaces that we've talked about for deity contact, but also for just a magical working space, um, just kind of a, a space to kind of sort through things and, and ruminate over things um, kind of in a very logical way. Um, and But I do that through meditative practice. And so it's definitely not something I like overnight was like, and this is what I'm doing. It's something I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about and crafting in a, in a very tangible way that I wanted to share with you guys so that you guys can really think about like, what do I want meditation to look like and how does it benefit me in a magical sense? Yeah, love that. Thank you. I <clears throat> think that we also are talking about, when we're talking about um, feelings, we're not really quite sure where to put this concept or this discourse around the um, appropriation of meditation in the new age movement, or maybe how meditation has gotten a marketing mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, rebrand from the wellness environment and how uh, even modernly when we're talking about uh, meditation, how potentially we're being triggered into thinking that meditation is for the goopy Gwyneth Paltrow followers, and it's not for witchcraft. Um, and that makes sense uh, in a lot of ways. And as we were kind of discussing this, Danny, beforehand, um, let me know, can I share some of your thoughts that you're sharing with me? But I very much see this as like, meditation and mantras and all of these kinds of like manifestation purposes and like the secret, all of those things are just like really a kind of the ice um, berg analogy. They're really just the tip of the iceberg and it's a, it's an important tip and it goes much, much deeper than potentially how it's explored within a popular culture standpoint. Um, it goes much deeper. And so, but don't like throw away those ideas just because they're being explored through other movements and think that it's not connected to witchcraft. I'm not really articulating that super well, but um, I don't know. I think a lot of people they hear with meditation, they're like, they don't instantly go like, oh, well, that's definitely the basis of all witchcraft, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, even just you and I having approached meditation from a wellness standpoint, not having approached it from a witchcraft standpoint, I think that that's where a lot of people are. I mean, I, I was a witch before I 
use meditation in practice. So I think that's where a lot of people are is, is there's this want to separate yourself from that like wellness crowd and the people that have really commodified wellness um, and, and really taken wellness from a place of everyone can do it and it is for everyone's good and well-being and really like turned it into like, here's the latest new thing that you can buy and use yeah. for your health and your wellness. And so I think a lot of people do not connect with that, right? Or it is for me, I mean, I can just put myself out there. It is adamantly opposed to who I am as a person. And so in not wanting to be attached to that, um, I have really gone the route of, well, I'm just doing meditation from these you know, very well-known thought leaders, not from this wellness space that has really commodified and, and taken over um, mm -hmm. parts of witchcraft, right? In this like, well, you can just manifest all the things you want in your reality through meditative practices. Um, and to some extent, yes, but to others, no, and not in the methods that you're using. And so I think the wellness community, and I use wellness in air quotes um, because I think it is very unwell in many ways, um, has really kind of stolen meditation and, and made it so that people often don't feel like it is as tied to witchcraft as it is mm -hmm. um, and can be and as, as beneficial as it can be um, because it really has socially become something so opposed to what I think most people are or want to be. Um, and so we wanted to just acknowledge that because I, I think when people hear meditation, they're like, well, do I really need to do that? Like those are all the woo-woo people and I'm just not part of that woo-woo crowd. Um, sure. You can not identify with that crowd at all and still take the concepts and still, um, you know, a phrase we often like to use, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but take mm -hmm. those concepts and, and still use them and still acknowledge that there are inherently very problematic things with the kind of the wellness group. Yeah. And I think uh, me being slightly older, I remember when wellness was called new age. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's always going to be some version of that. And before that, maybe it was the hippies, right? Before yeah, that, yeah. it was like the occultist and before that, you know, so I think it's, it's, you know, there's always some version of the popular, I don't know, the popular crowd having some type of things that are quite magical, not referring to them as magical. And then um, I would say, for me, it's like, I feel resistance towards using those things because I'm trying to separate myself from that space. Yeah. Um, but it's like, again, it's an iceberg scenario. They're dealing with kind of just the tip of the iceberg and ideally where you have a, you know, more depth in the topic and as a study. Um, transitioning just in, I mean, I think that this is pretty, I know we, we could make that topic be slightly in the feelings category and also slightly in the uh, integration uh, and challenge category. So transitioning into like the earth topic here, um, I think the go-to, when you start to work this in to your everyday life, um, one can easily find this like challenge and uh, see that as being a signal that they cannot meditate. Um, and there are going to be hurdles. It's not supposed to be easy. Your your mind is not an easy uh, place to play. So um, the first thing that we would point to is that there's just so many types of, of meditations and they're, until you've tried them all and every combination of them, then I think it's probably to, it's premature to assume that you can't do something um, and you can't meditate. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then we want to talk about um, those mundane challenges like place and space. So, you know, maybe you live with a lot of roommates or maybe you live in a very busy household with lots of loud people, Um, or maybe you live in a very small space. um, And so trying to find peace and quiet and where you won't be bothered or where you are not in the way or bothersome to someone else may not be an option that you have in your home. And it doesn't need to be done in your home. So you can go, you know, whether that's to a library nook, right? Find a little quiet space in your local public library um, or a public park. Again, safety, which is maybe, you know, not after dark, uh, alone in a creepy place. Um, A local trail, again, safety. If you know that you're going to be kind of in this um, in-between space, make sure you're in a safe place where there's no like risk of you falling off of something or uh, a wild animal, you know, coming to hang out with you uh, or anything like that. Um, Get a change of scenery. So maybe you've tried, you know, sitting on your bed meditating. It's just not working for you. Um, Some of my, in fact, all of my best meditations have been done in a bathtub or outside in drizzling rain. There's something about water for me. I'm very much a water baby that is very necessary for my meditative practice. Um, Oak, how, where really are like your best meditations? Well, um, I have a space in my ritual room, uh, laying down on like a little mat that has been, um, daily the place that I go to. I often have candles lit because while well, you're a water baby, I'm a fire baby. <laughs> you're very Cancerian and I'm very Sagittarian. <laughs> yes. And, yes. um, yeah. So, so for me, I mean, the, the, I don't know, most productive, most magical meditations I've had were actually in sweat lodges where it's super hot. Um, yeah. and, uh, which is just so funny to like, just suppose against your bathtub. Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, for me, I've tried meditating in bathtubs and I'm like, no, 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 See, I no, need no. it. I need to feel, um, not of self, I guess, like where, where the lines between your, your body and the water kind of mm-hmm. blur and that sensation ceases to exist. Um, like I, I need that. And same thing. I love meditating like outside, not directly in the rain because I find that yeah. to be distracting, but just like sitting outside while it's, it's raining under like a covering of some kind. Oh, mm-hmm. it's my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. I yeah, love sun, that. Like sound drown. Sunbathing is wonderful for me. I think it's so funny when I'm in a bathtub trying to meditate. I'm like, Ooh, the water's getting cold. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm like, where's the heat? Where's the fire? How can I bring it? Um, and meanwhile, when I'm like sitting in the sun, I'm like, I am going to be so sunburnt. How long have I been here? Um. <laughs> same, same, same. Sunscreen, but, but yeah, I mean, certainly changing, you know, if you're, you're struggling to meditate, changing your place is totally a way of doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, senses. So I think in today's very modern world, it can be really hard just to find the space and time, but then also to tune out what's happening around you in this very busy world that we live in. So just some other methods of of helping you kind of integrate that practice. Um, Use headphones to kind of block out surrounding noise. If there's like a playlist that you know won't be disruptive to your practice, um, including that. I love lo-fi music. I love it. Um, I love just kind of harmonious music that doesn't have words and is not really mm-hmm. distracting. Um, love just putting in some headphones and kind of zoning out with that. Um, you put here the use of a veil or eye mask to remove light. I 
I guess I've always had the opportunity to like turn out the lights. So I hadn't really thought about this, but I do love the ideal of kind of like, um, like closing yourself in, like creating your own, mm-hmm. your own space within like a veil or, or an eye mask. Mm-hmm. And then burn or spraying of a specific smell. So um, some people kind of build that muscle memory that like um, when I smell the smell, this experience is going to happen. And I think we have experienced that in kind of like more ritualized settings where like the burning of certain incenses kind of, okay, resets that this is the time and place that we are creating or the space that we are creating. Um, And so if you want to start that practice of like this scent or this smell, or maybe it's just something that's very um, comforting and meditative to you naturally, um, kind of starting that up in your space. And then we talked about feeling, right? Something we talked about earlier with the being seated. Um, I I also, I cannot stand seated meditation. For me, it's the distraction of realizing that like my shoulders have naturally slumped and you're supposed to have your shoulders back and your spine straight and, and you're you know, coccyx bone to the floor. And, um, I have a very large butt. So trying to get my coccyx bone to the floor is just not comfortable or realistic, like tilting my pelvis in that way. Um, by the time my feet are numb, I'm so over it. So, um, find that space or, or find that, that position that is going to be, um, not sensationally distracting to you, whether that's from a pain or a, a neuropathy kind of standpoint. Um, yeah, all of those things, yeah. you know, find ways to work around or or to dull your senses in a way that will be productive to what you're doing. Totally. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, assume that that when you start meditating, right, you should just assume that it's going to be a failure. I think start out from a place of this isn't going to work and let me figure out, let me just at least try this one thing, see if it doesn't work and then move on to the next thing. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so many different combinations of those things. And then, but also like journaling about your experiences so that you can remember what does work, what doesn't work and just continue to um, trial and error that through, I think is, is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. That was something you and I, um, kind of through our outer court experience. Um, and I don't know if you did this, but we had kind of this meditation, um, learning and it had these different exercises. And so I actually wrote out my experiences with those exercises. And I love to go back now and look at them because the settings I was in, which I did take note of very much determined the success of those practices for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, it was interesting because one of the most successful ones that I had was outdoors while it was sprinkling. And I was like, wow, I really expected this to be a total fail because it was raining and it was so great. So I think the journaling aspect of that is, can be really important, especially if you, um, kind of coming from like the scientific, scientific method aspect, want to like verify like, yes, this did work or no, this didn't work. And this maybe is why. Yeah, I mean, I think with any magical practice and um, any magical ritual or spellcraft or anything like that, we the documentation of that thing is part of the growth. I mean, there's everybody will say that journaling your experiences, recording your experiences, is like how you continue to get better. And I think it's because you can go back and reflect and take note of those things where it's really easy to remember why it was great or why it was not great. Um, and yeah, journaling's great. <laughs> Much as, and I'm not just naturally a journaler, so that's like totally uh, 
something that I have to like force myself to do, but it is so valuable later to go back and look at. So, you know, if you're not a journaler, just sign it up and do the thing. Just do the thing. Um, and then we wanted to talk about maybe if you have kind of like a mental block to to meditating and maybe that's for a very physiological reason. So um, people who maybe have like ADD, ADHD or similar diagnoses. Um, so I'm, I kind of my mind was kind of going through this things like maybe narcolepsy um, or things like restless leg syndrome um, that might make it very difficult for you to be able to tune out kind of your, your physical body or to not get distracted by the things that are happening to you both mentally and physically. And so in those diagnoses that may make it very difficult for you to have kind of undivided attention, um, I think step one is give yourself grace, right? You, if you know these things about yourself, there's no point in beating yourself up about them. Acknowledge them. Find workarounds for them. Don't get so discouraged because the first one didn't work out. Great. What can we do to kind of make this so that it works for you? This, this practice is for you, so let's find a way to make it work for you. Um, acknowledge those intrusive thoughts and just redirect a purpose, right? Um, I think when you pass a lot of judgment on your inability or or maybe the struggle to like not have intrusive thoughts, that almost just makes it worse. Um, mm-hmm. So it reminds me of things like um, stuttering, for instance. The more you focus on the stutter, the worse the stutter is going to get. So instead, let's, let's focus on, yep, had that thought, acknowledge it, put it away, redirect to focus, right? Um, if it doesn't work, if it's not working, don't draw out the misery, step away from it, take that down in your journal as a nope, didn't work and and move mm-hmm. on, find something different. Don't just stick it through to stick it through, um, and be miserable and get nothing out of it. Cause then you're just wasting your own time. And then you're probably not going to give yourself that grace that really is, is needed. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a balance there of sticking it out versus transitioning to something else, Um, and that's, you know, you have to know yourself well enough to know, like, have I exhausted that experience and am I giving up because it's actually not working for me or am I giving up because I haven't, it's not easy yet. I don't know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of conversation in magical communities about meditation and about accepting differences in um, people. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, it's hard for them to read. So them reading books doesn't make sense. Um, maybe listening to books makes more sense. For other people, meditating is hard because their mind is naturally scattered and it's hard for them to stay on one topic. And I mm, have a problem with that. And this is super potentially problematic. Um, I don't suffer from ADHD as much as I do with like dyslexia and things like that. Um, so honestly, I need to shut the fuck up about it. But um, <laughs> there is just some kind of friction that I feel with that idea of giving up on the practice of training your mind and having control over your mind. Um I think that it's worth the practice, even if it's hard. I mm-hmm. do. I mean, I've read studies where, you know, people even with ADHD benefit from the idea of meditation, but maybe that meditation looks different. So mm-hmm. I don't know, with all the different versions of meditation, even if there's a challenge that you're experiencing, the idea of being able to control your own thoughts is magical unto itself, is the type of work that's, I think, required in order for you to do a lot of magic, um, which I guess transitions us into kind of our our final place here within 
kind of the challenges of integration within our earth topic. I don't know, Danny, what do you think? Can you even do magic without meditation slash brain training? Is it possible? Yeah. And I think that question in and of itself is, um, it's giving you a very yes or no, right? A binary. Mm -hmm. Can you? Yes or no. Um, And I think this is more of like a spectrum. It's not about can you, but can you do it well? Um, So if being able to focus your intention and manipulation of thought is very difficult for you and you aren't willing to work on it, I would argue that you probably will have issues with manipulating energy and visualizing intent. Um, and that these exercises are really meant to like exercise that muscle. So it's not, can you do magic? Of course you can, but will it be as successful as it would be if you took this practice and really found a way to work through it or found a way to make it work for you and, and be better for you? I think the more that you work at this practice and the more that um, you get on that spectrum of it being more successful for you, I would argue that it will be help your magic be more successful as well. Um, So it's not so much can you or can't you, it's more of the spectrum of how well can you do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, been, I've I've found to be important in my craft is harnessing that control over my mind. And the more that I can do that, the more successful my um, adventures, my, the avenues of magic will be. Yeah, and and exerting your will to change your reality, right? That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. When we're talking about yeah. witchcraft from a Wiccan standpoint, like can you work with the gods without being able to control your brain? Sure, right? Can you work with your ancestors without having deep meditative practice? Maybe, sure. Like I think that's possible. But when I think specifically we're talking about the magic aspects of witchcraft, um, even within a Wiccan or non-Wiccan standpoint, I mean, we're talking about changing your <laughs> changing your brain in a lot of ways, right? So maybe, I don't know, maybe this a spell could be a meditation unto itself because it's asking you to align your behaviors and your intention. So maybe that is a way of focusing your brain is like working a spell. Um, but if you're practicing witchcraft for the purposes of like attaining your personal potential or for growth, then the meditation and meditation is part of that work, right? Um, there's other ways I think to train your brain outside of meditation. So certainly not limiting that. Um, something that I kind of got deep into um, was NLP, NLP, which is the neuro linguistic programming. And this has a lot, there's a couple of examples. I'm going to link a article here. Tony Robin. Tony Robbins, I wanted to say Tony problems, um, because he is problematic (laughs) and, and there's a lot of like, not, he hasn't aged well in all of the ways, but listen, you know, he's a boomer. What are you going to do? Um, but he has some really interesting, um, points here around NLP. This was something that is really one of the paramount aspects of his whole coaching model. And he's been very successful with that, but it's like changing how your brain thinks about things from, you know, imagery and like replacing what you want um, versus what you don't want. Um, Mirroring incantations, like that dude's doing witchcraft. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that dude is just I was going to say, is this a witch or no? Because it yeah. sounds very the same. <laughs> He's a very, very tall witch. Um, <laughs> deepest voice. It's funny. But um, something that I just want to mention here is, is, and I could have approached uh, 
the different types of meditation around like grounding and centering and, and all of those things, which are combinations of practices that are quite popular within the witchcraft um, world where meditation has kind of gotten a rebrand. Um, mm-hmm. But the purpose of meditation can be to train your brain. Um, I've also, especially like within high magic, the a lot of the banishing rituals is about quieting your brain, getting out energy so that you can put new energy in um, and being able to develop those psychic entities is kind of part of the magic. Um, So we could go on and on about like, can you actually do meditation? Um, Or can you actually do magic without meditation? And I'm, I'm not certain that defining meditation as brain training, if you can't, right? I'm pretty sure you have to train your brain in order to change your will and to change the reality. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Anything else on the topic? Uh, That is everything that I have to regurgitate. That's it. That's okay. <laughs> I, I think I think we've kind of thoroughly kind of turned it over, um, at least the the basic thoughts and concepts. And I hope that we've opened up enough avenues for people to kind of explore this topic on their own and, and find what really speaks to them and what makes sense to them. Um, and I hope that we've kind of given our our points of view in a really concise way that helps um, kind of maybe help people get over some of those barriers, right? Especially if you think meditation is just a one-way practice or there's only, you know, a handful of ways to do it. No, there there are so, so many out there. So hopefully we've kind of opened some doors for people who maybe have felt um, put out by the meditative community, kind of felt like mm-hmm. they don't have a place or know where their place would be in it. Um, hopefully we've opened some more avenues of thought for you guys. Love it. All right, guys. Well, as always, witches, blessed be and be well. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay.